Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and you'll find that on page 846, page 846 in the Church Bible. I'm going to read chapter 10, verse 32, down to the end of the chapter. Page 846. Jesus foretells his death a third time. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. Now, pursuing greatness, 
pursuing greatness, power, wealth, education, prestige, popularity, pursuing greatness. At the, at the moment, that's, that's how our world seems to aim to deal with its problems. Uh, we know our world sits under a shadow, illness, suffering, unemployment, debt. And so we pursue greatness to make life manageable under that shadow, whatever the cost to others, to bring security. Now that security in itself isn't a bad thing, of course it is good. Uh, Many of us will have been grateful, for example, for um, knowing you had a safe job during the pandemic was a a great relief uh, to some of us. But it's it's the pursuit, it's the, the drive for greatness how that has benefits, God wants us to see it's not his way. He has a very different way, Christ's way, that we'll come to see. Now, we've had a bit of time out of Mark's gospel, um, but let, let me try and help us get back, back up to speed. We're right in the middle, in a sense, of, of the book. We're in a, a section that is all about Jesus being on the way uh, to Jerusalem. You see it there, right there at the beginning of our passage in verse 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. The phrase, the way, appears a number of times in these uh, few chapters. And he's been spelling out since uh, chapter 8 to his disciples what awaits him in uh, Jerusalem. And then because of that, he's been showing his disciples what it means to be on the way with him. uh, To follow him. What does that look like? He's teaching them that the last will be first, to be like children. Uh, They even saw the rich ruler turn away because he wouldn't be like that. And here in our passage, uh, we've got the third of three predictions that Jesus gives of his death and resurrection in verses 33 and 34. Jesus is showing them once again his way as the suffering servant, his way to the cross and resurrection. He's showing them the horror of it, the magnitude of all that's about to come. And the question as we hear this third prediction is this, will the disciples now get it? Will they get what it means that Jesus is going to die and rise and what it means to follow him because of it? Because they've been really struggling up till now. And as we move through this passage, we're going to look at four sons Okay, we've got two sons of Zebedee, then the son of Man, and then, uh, lastly, the son of Timaeus. Now, firstly, the sons of Zebedee. Now, these two sons, they are self-serving superstars. The sons of Zebedee, the self-serving superstars. One day, James and John, uh, they find a quiet moment with Jesus. Uh, perhaps the other disciples, I don't know, they're chatting or they're off speaking to others. But here we are, the three of them. Two of Jesus' kind of inner circle and Jesus. You can imagine them, the the two brothers kind of looking at each other, a bit nervous, but come on, we're going to do this. And they head to him and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now that is a bold statement, if ever I heard one right from the start. They're immediately trying to force their will on Jesus. Now Jesus kindly replies, doesn't he? He says, what do you want me to do for you? And here we see what's going on. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. 
Wow, you know, that's what they want. They want greatness in glory, don't we all? They understood Jesus was the awaited king. They got he was going to reign in power. Perhaps they, they s- still saw it as getting rid of the Romans, uh, Jesus taking back control of Jerusalem. But they understood this was a king on a mission. But this was a power grab going on here. This was a stab at self-serving greatness. Glory first. Any sacrifices forgotten, they want glory. It's like they'd kind of walked into Jesus' front room with a load of others and seen there were two massive cookies sitting on a plate and gone straight for them without hesitating. Or there's only two seats on the first ever space flights and they jumped straight into them, pushing others out the way to get there. These were self-serving superstars. Even when Jesus mentions the sacrifice, the hardship and suffering, do you see that? He said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Alluding to his death here, even then they have a great confidence in themselves. Of course we can. That's why we're asking you for glory. We're superstars. We want greatness. And it wasn't just them, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. You can, you can imagine the, the grimace faces, the cold shoulder, the, the silent treatment. You said, what? Now, I don't think this is righteous anger going on here. This is them gutted that they didn't ask for it first. Uh, they'd wish they'd asked Jesus for the seats, that they'd been that bold. They're jealous. They've jostled over greatness before, back in chapter 9, and it's still here. Ambition rivalry between them all they're all like the sons of Zebedee self-serving self-serving superstars they're trying to push themselves closer to glory and greatness this is a dog eat dog world I push myself up at the expense of others I climb up the pile of people and I don't care if I shove my foot in their face as long as I get higher getting in with the boss while backstabbing your colleague I recently saw a video of a man saying he'd he'd explained to his wife that if they got married, his dreams and his vision would always come first over her. It's that kind of attitude. And later in verse 42, Jesus shows them that this kind of attitude is exactly what the rulers of the world have. In a sense, he's saying the powers you're hoping I'm getting rid of, you're exactly like them. We'd be swapping one despot for another. Why? Because this kind of attitude, it's all about power for my sake. It's all about my prestige, my greatness. But somehow everyone loses with this, isn't it? You lose because you're turned inward on yourself, losing who you are. And others lose as you just shove them out the way. Now this isn't to say that the whole of James and John uh, was like this, that they never did anything kind or good. But here they are showing their deeper motivation. It's a dark heart seeking to be self-serving superstars. And the thing is, these two men are here to shine a light on us. However much we may not want them to. Just ask this question. Where do you see this tendency in yourself? I wonder if, like the disciples, anger or indignation is often a clue. 
It's amazing how quickly it rises up inside. You know, jealousy. Why, why them? I'm better than them. I've worked harder. I deserve recognition. I deserve the merit, the promotion, the award, the job. Now, of course, there can be humble recognition of talent, but when the anger rears its head, it's often a telltale sign we wanted more. We wanted to be superstars. And if it's not anger, then it may be blame. In my uni finals, I, I didn't get the result I was hoping for, but what was my first thought? Not, I wasn't as good as I thought I was. No, it, was, it must be the examiner's fault. They must have marked my papers wrongly. I, I'm great. They must be the problem. We can often be about self-protection. Just the other day, Mary and my wife had a headache and needed a break. And rather than immediately caring for her, my first thought was, well, I need to get out soon. It was self-serving. And we can be blind to this because it's all so self-righteous, so self-focused. But James and John are here to show us ourselves. It's not just out there, is it? It's in here. And this is not what a follower of Jesus is to look like. May we repent. Jesus has a very different view of greatness that was the sons of Zebedee, self-serving superstars. But here, secondly, is the son of man, the self-sacrificing servant. The son of man, the self-sacrificing servant. Now, Jesus gives them a very different view of things. He wants to turn, once again, their world upside down. A world that isn't about self-gain, isn't about self-glory. And this is amazing. He, he, in this, these few verses, he shows us not only how he's the model, but his goodness goes further. He also shows us how he's the means to it all. But firstly, he does paint a very different picture of greatness. He shows himself as the model, a model of a self-sacrificing servant. His route is one of sacrifice, not one straight to glory. He's about to drink a cup, he explained to James and John. Now that cup is an image of his death. It's used often in the Old Testament to mean the cup of God's wrath. And he's about to face a baptism, an overwhelming flood pouring over him. He has great suffering to come. His way is a costly way. And then when he gets the disciples together, he shows them what this is about. His death is not just for show. It's for the sake of others. It's about serving others. Have a look at verse 43. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is turning things up, upside down. Greatness isn't self-promotion, but it's service. It isn't putting yourself first, it's putting others above yourself. It's not self-preservation, self-serving, it's self-sacrifice. Slave of all. That's his image. One commentator, helpfully interested. You know, imagine a, a top CEO, okay, a, a man on a crazy amount of money. It's jaw-dropping uh, salary. He, he's heading out of his palatial offices and he sees a cleaner. Okay, just imagine him saying, "You look tired. Let me finish mopping the loose for you. Here are the keys to my Bentley, so you can get home more easily. I'll get the bus." You imagining it? Would it happen? Of course not. But rather than the CEO of a global company, the real example is this. It's the creator of the universe 
the self-existent, the supreme being to whom all glory, honor, might and power is due, the eternal Son, the Son of Man, the King who will receive all power and authority, and yet he comes not to give us his Bentley, but his life. Verse 45, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. He drinks the cup of God's wrath instead of others. He's overwhelmed by a drowning baptism. As it said in Psalm 69 that we just sung earlier, in miry depths when floods engulf my soul, he serves us by dying for us. This is the ultimate self-sacrifice, pouring out his blood for the sake of others, the great for the least. Here is love vast as an ocean. This isn't a stoic, distant act. No, Jesus is someone so committed to others in love and mercy, he's willing to experience the pain and suffering so they don't. This is the love of the Son of Man, our Saviour. This is the model of greatness. That the Son of Man coming not to be served, but to serve. Rather than self-serving, he's self-sacrificial to the end. Why? To bring life for others. It's a beautiful thing. Christ giving himself for you. Is this your view of greatness? When you see Christ on the cross... Do you see greatness displayed? A life-changing love. Someone taking the pain instead of another. Let me put it differently. When, when the list of jobs for helping at church comes out, do you see the most unnoticed, the hardest jobs of all flashing greatness? Or, or when you see the, the quiet helping of a dying spouse, the, the gentle, dignified conversation with a down and out, the shifting of the diary to help someone get to hospital, do you see true greatness? Does your heart love and long for what is last, for what is least, what is serving others? Boy, is this challenging. And it's challenging because we know we struggle at it so much that it feels impossible inside. And the disciples have shown that they've kept showing that they just can't imitate Jesus in this. They see his example, but they just can't do better and follow it. They keep getting it wrong. Peter, back in chapter 8, in his pride, he rebuked Jesus. The disciples all wanted to be the greatest. James and John asked for the best seats. Our sin is just too great. Our guilt too weighty. We seem to be stuck in self-serving mode. But Jesus knows this. He's, he's, yes, he's the model. He's the example. But he's not just a model for us to follow. He's the means for us to get there. He's the means. Let's head back to verse 45. Probably one of the, the core verses of the whole book of Mark. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't just come to show us service. He did do that, but he, he, he didn't just do that. He came for a reason. He came to achieve something with that service, to give his life as a ransom. He didn't die just to identify with the brokenness of our world, as some people say. 
No, he died to pay a price we couldn't. He died to buy us out of our guilt, our sin, the eternal death and judgment waiting for us. If we're ever to serve like Jesus, we need the weight and the power of our sin broken. I spoke about this in detail last week as we thought about redemption. And here it is again. Jesus' death to redeem us, to ransom us. As he died, as he faced the cup of God's wrath, as he was baptized with death itself, he was dying in our place. We deserve that wrath and death. But instead, he was the substitute. His death so we could have life. His payment so we could be free. Free from the guilt of our sin. Free from its punishment, its fear. Forgiven for our failure to serve. He's the means. He's our substitute. And being ransomed, being freed, frees us to serve. We're bought into God's service. Rather than slaves to sin, we're in service of the king. Just think of that, the famous Bible character, Joseph. Okay, back in the Old Testament. He was a slave, if you remember. He was imprisoned in Egypt, shackled for years, as good as dead. But then he's freed. His, his chains are broken. The, the locked doors are open for what? For service to the king. Oh, and that service was good for many, wasn't it? Jesus is the substitute, so rather than having sin hanging over us, we can be more and more like him. He's the means, as one commentator put it, as at the source of all Christian service in the world is the crucified and risen Lord who died to liberate us into such service. He died to liberate us into that service. He's the substitute. But we don't just need a substitute, we need sight. To be able to come like Jesus, we don't just need freeing from our past sin and guilt. We need a miracle in our hearts. We need Jesus for, for who he is, so we trust him. Uh, we, we, so we come to him forgiveness and we want to be like him. We need spiritual sight. And that's what's going on with blind Bartimaeus. It's a wonderful miracle of a blind man receiving sight. But, but Mark's put it here to show us more. Okay, at the beginning of this section of the book, okay, the beginning of back in chapter eight, there was another sight healing. Okay, and and we've got one here at the end of this little section. And Mark clearly linked that first one to the disciples' understanding or lack of understanding of who Jesus is, what he had come to do, their spiritual sight. If you remember, Peter, like the blind man, sort of got what Jesus uh, who Jesus was but not completely. And here at the end of the section, we have another sight healing. Again, to teach us about spiritual sight. To serve sacrificially like Jesus, we need to see him and the world differently. Rather than seeing everything with self-serving lenses, we need Jesus to change our eyes to see things through Jesus-shaped lenses, through self-sacrificing lenses. Seeing Jesus' true greatness and love and kindness, we need a, a Jesus miracle. And it's Jesus who gives sight to Bartimaeus, isn't it? He gives us sight to see what true greatness is. He gives us sight so we can serve the king like the king. The son of man, the self-sacrificing servant. That self-sacrifice was not only the model but the means for us to be like him. He not only died as an example, he died to make it happen. Our substitute giving us sight. 
praise God that the Son of Man, He is truly this self-sacrificing servant. It's all for our goods, all for our help, all so that we would be truly free, living lives of love and service of others. If you're not a Christian here tonight, there's something really important here for you to see. Jesus is saying, to be great, to be free, you need to be served by me. You need to let Jesus serve you. Admit that you needed him to die for you. That you need him to heal your spiritual sight. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Hear Bartimaeus' response, I want to see Jesus, let me see. Please can I encourage you this evening, if you've never done so, to come to Jesus by praying to him. Saying, Jesus, I want to see. I I know you needed to die for me. Thank you for being my ransom. But the thing is that this isn't just for those who aren't yet Christians. Actually, this is for all of us. And it keeps going as we follow Jesus. Because lastly, we need to focus a bit more on the last son. We've had the sons of Zebedee, self-serving superstars. We've had the son of man, the self-sacrificing servant. And lastly, we have the son of Timaeus, the faith-filled follower. The son of Timaeus, the faith-filled follower. This, this final miracle with Bartimaeus isn't just so we see our need for spiritual sight. No, no Bartimaeus is he's put here in direct contrast to James and John. Do you notice they're both asked exactly the same question by Jesus? What do you want me to do for you? And also the language used for Bartimaeus is loaded. Jesus comments on his faith. And then Bartimaeus follows him. Bartimaeus is here to show us what it means to really be a disciple of the king. He's here to show us what's at the heart of someone who's going to become more like Jesus, who's going to live self-sacrificially. Well, it's this, and it's a very simple answer. It's a humble faith in Jesus. That's where it all begins. A humble faith in Jesus, but it changes everything. Just look at Bartimaeus. He's, He's on the streets just outside of Jericho, a blind beggar. He's got no source of food, no way of making money. There's no social care system. He's in poverty and he's ostracized. But he's a man who's not only heard about Jesus, he knows uh, who he is. Look at what he cries. He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here is a cry of faith. Bartimaeus believes Jesus is more than just an ordinary teacher. He believes the Messiah is here, the Son of promised to David, the king prophesied by Isaiah, and he believes he's a man of mercy, a man of such power and grace that he can do something about Bartimaeus' situation. Even when people tell him to shut up, to sit down, to stop bothering Jesus, what does he do? Verse 48, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, what faith. He doesn't care what others think. He doesn't care what it looks like. He knows who his saviour is and he knows he needs him. Even though his physical eyes are blind, the eyes of his heart, they are 100% focused on Jesus, his king, his saviour. There's an extraordinary little detail in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Throwing off his cloak. Remember, he's, he's blind. 
to leave the one thing that he owns, the one thing to keep him warm at night when he might not find it again. This is a man who knew something was about to happen. This is a man who knew he was safe and the Saviour's at hand. He knew mercy was on offer. Verse 51, And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Just imagine that first sight for Bartimaeus. We have a a picture book at home that retells this story and it paints the picture that looking over Jesus' shoulder at Bartimaeus. It's a beautiful picture because there you see Bartimaeus' face as he looks straight at Jesus. That was his first sight. Imagine the joy, the the tears of joy rolling down his cheeks as he not only sees the world, but sees the man who gave it to him. Humble faith in Jesus, utterly Jesus-focused. And what's his response? To follow Jesus on the way. That's what he does, he follows Jesus on the way. And remember what way Jesus was on. Verse 32, they're on the road to Jerusalem. They're on the way towards Jesus' death and resurrection. The cross is looming. It's the way of self-sacrifice. And Bartimaeus, verse 52, followed Jesus on the way. He is a faith-filled follower. This is how we walk like our Saviour. This is how we follow Jesus' example of self-sacrificing service. Like Bartimaeus, we trust our Saviour. We have the eyes of our hearts fixed on him from the beginning and every step of the way. Here is greatness in Jesus' eyes. Bartimaeus, he wasn't great in the world's eyes. He wasn't secure from the shadow of death. He was suffering. He was disabled. Being blind, he was poor. He was utter, here was utter weakness in the world's eyes. But in Jesus's, here was greatness. You don't have to be someone in the world's eyes to be great in God's kingdom. God doesn't want those who know or think they're superstars. He hasn't come for the sorted, the strong, the have it together kind of person. No, he just wants you. You as you are. He wants you just to fix your eyes on him. And that's when you enter greatness. Coming to Jesus as we are, coming to him in humility, is the only route to true service of others. Because it's only this route that accepts us empty-handed and gets us to acknowledge we are empty-handed. Christ is the Savior. We need him. He doesn't need us. But he loves to use us to help others. Christ is the healer, not you. But he loves to use you so that others might see him. You may think you have all the gifts in the world, but it's the blind beggar who's truly great. Become like him and you'll be able to serve. That's greatness. The world's way is self-serving and in the end life-destroying. But Jesus has a different way. A life-giving greatness. If you want that, then come to him. Let him fill your gaze. Jesus asks each one of us, 
what do you want me to do for you? Now come with your honest answer. He wanted James and John to be true. But also be ready, ready for a loving rebuke. And then let Jesus take up your view. May he be our horizon and our focus. May we become like Bartimaeus, a faith-filled follower. Why? So we might be like Jesus, the Son of Man, the model and the means, the self-sacrificing servant who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen.